Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. Uh, So last week we began a series entitled The Word, and we are are looking at a life that is guided by the Word of God. And the Bible, we said, is the most important tool in the life of the believer to learn about God. It's how we learn about God's character. It's how we learn about what God cares about. It's how we learn about the gospel and, and how to be saved is by and through the Word of God. And it was given to us to help guide us through our life. But it is not just a source of information on how to be a good person, how to live a good life. The Bible has the power to change us. It has the power to transform our lives, to conform us to the image of Christ. And it's the only thing that can, with the help of the Holy Spirit working in us and Jesus working in us and the Word of God working through us, it's the only thing that's going to change us. You know, a lot of people are are looking for how they can change. And me and April, we've talked about, about this a lot. You know, we'll have, we'll have something we're struggling with and, you know, something we like, man, I just wish we, we could do that. Why can't we accomplish that? It's like, well, we just don't, we just don't have the character for it. It's like, well, let's just get the character. I'm like, it's not, it's not that easy just to get character in this certain area. You've got to, you've got to have help with it. And the word of God gives us and helps us get the character and changes us to be, to live the life that God wants us to live. So we saw last week that the word of God is a guide for us as we go through life. See, we have to understand that the Word of God is inspired by God. It is the very words of God. It's not the words of some good men. I know we, you know, Moses wrote for the first five books. David wrote several books. We have some of the high priests wrote books. We've got Paul. We've got Peter. We've got some really incredible men of God who were used by God to pin down the words, but the words are God's words. They're not man's words. They're God's words. And that means everything in the Bible is true. And we have to believe that. You know, a lot of times I'll talk to people and they'll come to me about, well, I've got this friend who I'm trying to witness to and, and they're just, they're completely opposed to the Bible. They're completely opposed to God. They say the Bible is, a, is just a, a fairy tale book written by men. If, if someone doesn't believe the word of God, there's really, in my opinion, no way you can talk to them about God. Because that's the foundation of everything we know about God. That's the foundation. And so if you're like, well, the Bible says, but they don't believe the Bible... You're not really helping them in any way, but we have to believe and understand that the Bible is inspired by God. It is breathed out by God himself, and God wants us to use the Bible in every area of our life. Too many believers, we we only use the Bible in the areas we think God wants us to. We, We compartmentalize our life. 
this is my spiritual life and this is my regular life. And so the Bible can have influence in my spiritual life, like when I go to church and, and when I'm maybe praying over a meal and maybe when I'm talking to someone about God, that's what the Bible has authority over. But, you know, when I go to work, that's on me. When I raise my kids, that's on me. When I deal with my wife, that's on me. And God wants the Bible to have authority in every area of our life, in our walk with God, in our personal relationships, in our marriages, in our child-rearing, in our finances, in our work life, and in how we treat and interact with other people. God wants the Word of God to lead us and guide us in every area. And Paul, we've been looking at, at, at 2 Timothy, Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16, he describes the power of the Word of God. He says, all Scripture, that means every bit of it. That means the, the, the parts where there's seven chapters of names, and you know that's inspired by God, and that is profitable. For what? I have yet to figure it out. I've read it. But I've looked at it. I'm like, there's a lot of begatting, but I don't know what it got to do with me. And so but he says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And that's the part we've been looking at. The Bible, Paul says, is profitable to us. It is useful to us. It is to our benefit to allow the Word of God to work in life. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And again, we saw that phrase last week, the man of God. It's not talking about just a preacher. It's not talking about just a pastor. It's not talking about a missionary. It's talking about a child of God. The word man literally means man or woman. So he is saying the Word of God is profitable, it's to our advantage for the child of God to use it in their life so that they can be mature and perfect and prepared for everything they're going to face. And we saw last week where Paul says that the Word of God is profitable for doctrine or for teaching us about God, about His character, about what He cares about. We can learn about God by studying the Word of God. And we, we looked at the scripture in Genesis with the life of Hagar. And we saw where in her life, she was going through a trial. She was going through a difficult time. Of course, we know the story. She's, she's, she's a, a servant, a handmaid of, of Sarah and Abraham. So she doesn't really have any say-so. I've heard a lot of people put a lot of blame on Hagar for the whole Hagar-Abraham-Ishmael situation. But she didn't have a choice. In that culture, she was owned by Sarah and Abraham, and so when they said do it, she had to do whatever they said. So she becomes, she becomes uh, with child, becomes pregnant by Abraham to, have, to bring forth the promised child because Sarah wanted to manipulate God. And when she does this, Sarah gets mad at her. Sarah begins to hate her, and so she, she runs away. She's in the desert. She's in the wilderness. She's by, by a, 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 a well. She's upset. She's betrayed. She's hurt, and God comes to her. And God speaks to her and she says, I see the God who sees me. And so by, by looking at Hagar's life, her story found in Scripture, we learn that God sees us in our pain, in our trials, in our hurts. God sees everything that we're going through. But more than that, not only does God see us, but God helps us. God gets involved in our lives. 
He gave Hagar the same promise he gave Abraham that Ishmael would be the, the father of, uh, of many, of many nations and his, his offspring would outnumber the stars. And so he, he blessed her and helped her and encouraged her. And that tells us that no matter what we're going through, God sees what we're facing. God sees how we're struggling and God gets involved. Now, a lot of times we don't like what God does, but God helps us in every situation for our good and for his glory. And so we learn that by studying the scripture. And that truth, it shows us how much God loves us. It shows us how much God cares for us. It shows us how much God does for us. It teaches us we're not serving an absentee heavenly father. We're not serving a God who, who saves us as like, okay, you're saved now, you're on your way to heaven, you're on your own till you get here. God is active and involved in our life. It teaches us that we're never alone. Even when we're betrayed, even when we're hurt, even when we're rejected, we're never alone because God is always with us. He is looking after us and he is getting involved in our pain and our problems. And the Bible teaches us that about God, among other things. But there's one more thing, that, there's some, another thing that Paul tells us the Bible is good for. He says, for the word of God, uh, the scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, of course, for doctrine, but then for reproof. Reproof is the Greek word eliohos, and it means conviction. It literally means being rebuked for wrongdoing. Being rebuked and, and rebuked is more than just corrected. Correction is when, you know, you're on Facebook and you see someone use the improper use of your, you know, trying to say you are and like, why are you are? Like, you are so pretty. And it's like, you correct them. No, it's why are you apostrophe R-E. Use proper grammar. And so that's, that's correction. Reproof is when your kids, your toddler, they're trying to stick a fork in the light slot, in the, in the plug. You don't just say, I don't think you should do that. You smack their hand. You say, no, don't do that. You are rebuking them for something they were going to do wrong. Now, if you don't get there fast enough and they stick it in there, electricity rebukes them pretty quickly. But a rebuke is a correction <coughs> or it is, a, it is being rebuked for sin. So Paul is teaching us this vital truth. The Word of God is profitable to us because it shows us our weaknesses. It shows us our sins. It shows us how we are living a life that is displeasing to God. It shows us that when we are wrong in, in what we do, when we are wrong in, in what we say, in how we act, and how we treat people, the Word of God convicts us and says, that was wrong, this is how God wants you to live. And again, it is profitable to us for doing that. It is to our good, to our benefit, for God to show us these things through our word, through his word. Like I said last week, when you travel to an unfamiliar area, it helps to have a guide. Someone who can show you around, show you where the best restaurants are, show you where good shows are, show you around the area, tell you history about it. Someone to teach you the local customs. Someone to tell you what to do in certain situations and what not to do. When we went on a missions trip to Costa Rica, we had a guide, someone who was assigned to do that for us. His name was Daniel. And his entire job 
was to tell us how not to make people mad. How not to offend people. In certain situations, how not to be rude. Not meaning to, just our culture is very different than their culture. And so we could get into a situation and, and not meaning to, we could offend or hurt them. And he told us, he, he's, he's Costa Rican, and he said, uh, uh, you, know, you, you folks from the United States, you'll have a very bad habit of offending people when you get here. So let me teach you how not to offend people when you get here. Uh, for example, example, when he told us, to, when you tell people where you're from, don't say you're from America. Because especially in, in Central America, you know, when you think of, you know, what's a, what continent are we on? Who, what continent are we on? The North American continent, right? Wrong. We're on the American continent. Most people in Central and South America, because of the tectonic plate, that's how they determine what it is, they believe that we are on the American continent. So it's not North America, Central America, South America, it's America. So when you say, when they say, where you're from, and you're from, I'm from America, it's condescending to them. Because of them, they're part of America too. And so you're offending them. So it goes, when, you, when they ask where you're from, say the United States. Not the United States of America, the United States, because it offends them. He also told us when we go eat somewhere, we, we went to orphanages and we went to schools and people's houses. He goes, when you go somewhere, they're going to offer you something to drink or they're going to offer you something to eat. He goes, if it's water, don't drink it. Just They'll understand, just say, I'm not thirsty. But if it's anything else, you have to drink it and you have to eat it. Now, that wasn't terrible most of the time. You know, we went to one place and they gave us a good old glass of goat's milk. But I like goat's milk, so I didn't mind that. Parker did. He hates pretty much anything. And so we went to one, we went to one school and they fed us. And it was a very simple lunch. It was a little, little salad and some rice and beans. And, I mean, I loved it. I'm, I'm chowing down on the rice and beans, eating the salad, but Parker's hating it. He doesn't like rice and beans. He hates salad. And so he's, he's choking it down because to refuse it, that's the best they have, to refuse it is rude. And it will offend them. And so we had this guide to show us what to do and what not to do to offend people. He told us when we were doing something offensive, or wrong, and that is how the Word of God reproves us. It shows us what is acceptable and unacceptable. It shows us what to do and not to do. It shows us how to live. And using Scripture this way is most clearly seen in the Old Testament where the Jews obeyed the law. The law is the commandments that God had given to Moses. Now, when you think about the commandments, we all think about the Ten Commandments. But God gave him thousands of commandments that, that went through every area of life. And we're going to show you how that worked tonight. But, of course, it includes the Ten Commandments. Now, they are contained in the first five books of the Bible. And the Jews, they are known as the Torah. But the, the law wasn't just a list of do's and don'ts. That's because we think of the commandments, honor the Lord thy God, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't kill. Oh, it's just do's and don'ts. Here's what we have to do. Here's what we don't have to do. But the law is more than just a list of do's and don'ts. It was given in a lot of different forms and a lot of different situations to teach the Old Testament Jews what God expected of them. And it's divided into three categories. There was civil law, how you treat other people. 
There was religious law, how you were supposed to act and relate to God. And there was moral law, what was good and not good just for all of humanity. And that was the threefold uses of the law. And these threefold uses of the law had one purpose, to reveal our sin and our shortcomings and our misery and to teach, the, to teach us There was no way we could obey all these laws in every area of our life. And so we had to have a Savior. Because the law said, if you want to please God, you have to do all of this perfectly. And if you mess up once, you've broken all of it and you've fallen short. And the purpose was no one could do all of it. No one could live up to that standard, so it was to teach us our need for Savior. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 3. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So Paul's saying, look, the law doesn't justify you in the eyes of God. The purpose of the law was to show you how sinful you truly are. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all them that believe. So Paul saying the, the law was never meant to, to save you or to justify you. It was to show you couldn't be justified, that you only get righteousness by accepting the death, burial, and resurrection as payment for your sin. That's the only thing that can give you righteousness. The law was to show you that you could never get it any other way. Then he says, for there is no difference for them... For, um, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, an issue had arisen in the early church where Jewish believers wanted Gentile believers to conform to the law after salvation. They accepted them as saved by grace through faith. If a Gentile came to the church and said, I I understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and he died on the cross for my sins and he was buried and rose again to justify me with God the Father, I believe that and I put my trust in that. They accepted like, hey, welcome to the family of God. Now you have to obey all the law. Because we had to. So you got to do it. So they were trying to force these Gentile believers to obey the law after salvation to Keep righteous with God. And Paul's saying, that was never the purpose of the law. You didn't get righteous with God because of the law. You are made righteous with God separate from the law because of what Jesus has done for you. So Paul is teaching that Jews and Gentiles fall short of God's standard found in the law. So the purpose of the law was to show us that no one can be right with God through the law. The law shows us how sinful we truly are. How much we fall short of the glory of God. And we can see that practically in our own lives. Who knows, off the top of your head, what's the ninth commandment? Anybody? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Okay, maybe we should go a refresher Old Testament survey here. (laughs) Don't feel bad. I had to Google it too. So the ninth commandment is, thou shalt not bear false witness. It's very simple. Don't lie. We know that that's a good rule anyway. Don't lie. In our family, our, if, if our kids lie to us, their punishment is a hundred times worse than if they're honest. If I catch them doing something, 
and I ask them, did you do this? And I never, no, well, they're not here. Sometimes I ask not knowing because they're dumb and sometimes they rat themselves out. But if I know what they did and I have proof of what they did, I say, did you do this? I didn't do this, Daddy. Well, I got the proof. You just lied. Now you're in trouble for doing it and very much trouble for lying. And I always tell them, if you're honest, you'll find mercy and grace. It doesn't mean you're not going to get punished, but it means you won't be punished as severely. And most of us, we say, don't lie. That's easy to do, right? None of us are liars, right? All right, you wake up tomorrow morning. You don't feel good. You got a headache. You're just kind of worn down. Yeah, your coffee maker doesn't work. And that happens a lot in our house. And when your coffee doesn't work, it's just the whole day shot. Just get back in bed and wait for Tuesday. But you wake up, your coffee pot didn't work, you're out, or you're out of coffee. You, you go out to your car to go to work and you got a flat tire. So now you gotta, you got to change your tire. So you're late for work. Your, your boss reams you out. and It's just a terrible day. People keep giving you more work to do than you know what to do with. And so it's just, your day is horrible. You, you have to work through lunch. You still don't feel good. You still didn't get your coffee. Finally, you get to quitting time. You're going home, but there's an accident on 81 because there's always an accident on 81. And you're stuck in traffic, sometimes for hours, so you're stuck in traffic so long. And you finally make it home, and you get out, and your neighbor, who you don't really like anyway, Says, hey, how you doing? Do you tell them all that? No, what do you say? I'm good. No, you're not. You had a terrible day. You just lied. Oh, that's just a little white lie. Doesn't matter. Lies lie. And so the law shows us a standard of expectation that God has for how we should live on a daily basis. And on a daily basis, every single one of us fail to live up to that standard. We all fall short of the glory of God. And this is the word of God being a guide for our lives by pointing out the way that we should live and convicting us when we fall short of it. This is what we see happening in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. So look at 2 Chronicles chapter 34, starting in verse number 14. And when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkah, the priest, found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And Hilkah answered and said unto Shapen, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkah delivered the book unto Shapan. And Shapan carried the book to the king and brought the king the word back again, saying, All that was commanded to thy servants, and they, uh, all the, all, that was commanded to thy servants, they do it. And they gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord and delivered it to the hand of the overseers and to the hand of the workmen. Then Shapan, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkah, the priest, hath given me a book. And Shapan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king heard the words of the law, that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkah and Achan, the son of Shapan, and Abdon, the son of Micah, and Shapan the scribe, and Asha, the servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do all that is written in this book. So what's going on here is, is they are, are remodeling or kind of restoring the temple. They are very good Baptists. They find the money first. 
Where they put the offering, let's go get the offering. But while they're there, they find the Word of God. They find the Torah. And so they take, this, they take the Bible, they take the Torah to the king. And he does something that not enough believers do today. He reads it. I know, amazing, right? He read the Bible. And more than just, you know, two minutes a day, he sat down and had the entire word of God read to him. And after reading the Bible, he tears his robes. And this time, tearing your clothes or rending your clothes was a sign of deep grief, of of mourning. And so he, he reads the word of God. He realizes that he and the entire nation are falling short of what God expects of them. And he, he mourns what's happening. He tears his clothes. He is being reproved by the word of God. He calls the nation together. He tells the nation that they've discovered the word of God. He reads it before the entire nation. And the entire nation mourns because they realize their sin. God's word has just served as reproof for the nation of Israel. They heard God's word. They realized they were living contrary to the word of God, and they changed their behavior. They, they fasted. They prayed. They started doing what the word of God commanded them to do. Josiah had God had the word of God read to all the people because he understood the importance of receiving reproof from the Bible. So as we continue looking at having a life led by the word, let's see how the word of God reproves us. First of all, it reproves us because the word of God is alive and active. This is seen clearly in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing the sunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word quick there is the Greek word zeo, and it means to be alive or full of life. The Bible is a living, breathing book. That's why you can read the Bible over and over and over and over again, and get something different from it every time. Not scripturally different, but a new truth, a a new conviction every time. That's why you can read the psalm so many times and see so many different things and get such help from it. And you can read different stories and say, oh, I never realized that or I never understood that or I never, never saw that that way. Because the Word of God is a living book. Every other book is a dead book. Every other book is devoid of life, but not the Bible. The Bible is alive, which means the Bible is always relevant. Sometimes, I've even heard it in in Christian circles. I've read blogs by men who have said, you know, the Bible was great back then, but it doesn't really apply today. The Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun. The Word of God is eternal. So when God gave the words of God to the men he did several thousand years ago, he knew that today in 2019 we'd be reading these words and he would want it to make them relevant to us today as well. So he made the Word of God alive. It is always relevant. It is never stagnant. Martin Luther said this. He said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands, it lays hold on me. 
Bible says the word of God is alive. But it also says it is quick and powerful. The Greek word powerful there is, is the word energos. And it means active and moving. It's the same word that we get our English word energy from. The Bible is energetic. It is always working in the life of the believer who will allow the word of God to work in their life. It is always executing the sovereign purpose of God. And the sovereign purpose of God and the purpose of the word of God in the life of the believer is to conform us to the image of God. Look what God said in Isaiah 55. He said, so so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Wherever God's word goes forth, it is always working to accomplish God's will in the life of the believer. What that means, it is always capable to fulfill God's purpose in your life and conform you to his image because it is alive and powerful. But the second way the Bible helps us is the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Again, the writer of Hebrews says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. That means it is incredibly sharp. It is able to cut deeply into the human heart. Cut deeply into the human soul. And two-edged means it's able to cut both ways. The sword is the spirit of God and it is able to build up and tear down. The Word of God is able to comfort us and afflict us. The Word of God is able to, to harden us to sin or to soften us to Word. The Word of God is able to save us and condemn us. Charles Spurgeon said this, he goes, the divine dagger is all edge with no blunt side. When we read the Bible, it doesn't just scrape our skin or inflict shallow wounds. It cuts deep into our heart and deep into our life to reveal to us the sin that we have to deal with. It cuts all the way, the Bible says, to the joints and marrow. The Bible is able to reveal the depths of our depravity and show us our need for saving grace. No worldly message, no worldly conventional wisdom can do that. The word of God's razor sharp edge can penetrate to the innermost part of the soul, to places that we think nobody knows about. See, all of us think we've got some sort of hidden sin. Maybe, maybe your hidden sin's a big one. Maybe it's just a small thing you're, you're trying to keep hidden. No one knows about it. It's just, just my little burden to bear, and I'll keep it to myself, and no one will find out. The word of God is able, as you're reading the word of God, to cut into your soul and cut into your heart and say, that thing you think no one knows about, I know about it. And I care about it. And we got to deal with it. It was able to reveal things that we didn't even think anyone knew about. The Word of God doesn't stroke your ego. It doesn't tickle your ears. It cuts to the bone all the way to a person's real needs. It exposes the heart for what it truly is. Desperately sick and deceitfully wicked. Nothing can convict us of our sin like the two-edged sword of the Word of God. Ken Hughes said this. He says, God's Word cuts through our hard-shelled souls like a hot knife through butter. When we handle it properly, the Word of God is the most powerful cutting instrument known to man. 
It is as a sharp scalpel that's able to slash at our heart, convicting us of our sin and exposing our depravity. The law points out that we are in a desperate situation and need someone to help rescue us. We realize that we, we can't make God happy by keeping his commandments. That's because we can't keep them. The primary purpose of the law was to create a system that pointed us to something better, to show us to create a sacrificial system that prepared us for the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. In short, the Word of God is meant to make us miserable and desperate for Jesus so we can find joy in knowing that we completely belong to Him. But we can only reach that place if we are guided daily in our life by God's word. We have to let the word of God reprove us and show us when we're wrong.